Hey, Cornwall Church, thank you so much for joining us. We're glad you're with us uh, this weekend. Hey, we're really excited because we're making steps towards reopening our campuses in Skagit and here in Bellingham. If you're on our mailing list, you got an email from us on Friday. I would encourage you to read that. Be familiar with all the information there because there's more details there. What we're targeting is in, in Skagit is to reopen that campus on Sunday, September 13th and then here in Bellingham to open the weekend of September 26th and 27th. Now there's gonna be more information about that and it's very important that you read that information, you listen to that information, you understand because there's some very specific guidelines for what you're gonna to need to do if you wanna join with us at one of our campuses, but we're excited about that. Hey, we're in this series on Moses, have been all summer, and it has been fantastic, a lot of fun uh, for me to study and preach and our other guys as well. And today what we're going to look at is not just specific only to Moses, but it's what God says to Moses for the people, the entire uh, nation of Israel. Before we get to that, I want to tell you about an experience I had a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Doreen, my wife and I, were out for a motorcycle ride on one of these beautiful summer evenings. And we were out in the county, up the north, uh, northwest side of, of Watkin County, out by Birch Bay, actually. And I saw this house. And I thought, oh, man, I've got to take a picture of this house. Here, here's the picture. Here's the house. I mean, it looks like a, a haunted house. And I know you're probably thinking the same thing I thought. The first thing I thought was, that's a Scooby-Doo house. I mean, some of us were raised with Scooby-Doo, right, with Fred and, and Daphne and Velma and, and Shaggy. And, and the whole thing about a Scooby-Doo house is it's, it's scary, and it's, or, or as, as Shaggy would say, like zoinks, all right? And, and you say, don't go in the house and definitely don't go in the house alone. The reason I'm telling you all that is because what we're gonna look at today as we get started, I'm gonna say one word and for some of you, you're gonna have that same reaction. You're gonna be saying, this is scary, don't go in there or at least don't go in there alone, like zoinks. The word is Leviticus, Leviticus. And for some of you, when I say the word Leviticus, this is what you say, ruh -roh. Now here's the deal. You don't have to go in alone. We're gonna go in together and I'm gonna be your guide, but we're gonna look into the book of Leviticus. Four weeks ago, when I did the sermon on the tabernacle, when we got into the Holy of Holies and I talked about the Day of Atonement, I said, I may spend an entire week talking about that. This is that week. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna look specifically at Leviticus chapter 16. So if you want to turn in your Bible, that's where we're going to be today, Leviticus chapter 16. Interesting little thought on this one. Uh, the Pentateuch, the books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Leviticus is right in the center of the Pentateuch. Leviticus 16 is almost dead center of the book of Leviticus. What that means is what we're going to look at today is not only physically the center of the law, but more importantly, spiritually, it's the epicenter of everything that, that, that God was pointing to. In fact, it's so important, uh, James Montgomery Boyce, who I've referenced several times in this series, he said this about this chapter. This chapter is critical to the understanding of Old Testament religion, and thus it is the most important chapter in the Old Testament for helping us to understand what Jesus Christ did on the cross when he fulfilled these Old Testament types. The most important chapter in the Old Testament. And so we're going to look into the book of Leviticus. All right, chapter 16 specifically, and starting off with verse 30. Verse 30 says, On this day, atonement will be made for you to cleanse you. Then, before the Lord, you will be clean 
from all your sins. Now, I need to give you a little background and understanding of the, of the Jewish calendar and their year. The Jewish year was filled with festivals, feasts, holy days, and they all pointed back to their history, the story of how God had been with them, how they were God's people. And the very first one that, uh, at, the, at the Jewish New Year, there's a, a, a festival called Rosh Hashanah. It's where they blow the shofar, the trumpet, this, this festival of trumpets, and it goes on for nine days. On the 10th day, which is a very significant day, a very specific day, this happens. And this is what is referred to as Yom Kippur. Not to be mistaken with Pastor Kipp's French recipe book, Yom Kippur. It's different. This is Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur. And Yom Kippur, many of you are aware of this, means Day of Atonement. Day of Atonement. And we've talked about this quite a bit. But there would be a sacrifice for an atonement. The reality is it wasn't just a sacrifice. There were sacrifices, multiple. In fact, the word in Hebrew is plural. So you could actually technically call it the Day of Atonements because there's going to be more than one sacrifice that happens. Now, atonement means to cover, to cover, and specifically to cover your sins. And this day and these sacrifices and this covering was different than any of the other sacrifices that they've been instructed to give throughout the book. This one specifically was a communal event. This is one that involved the entire, the entire nation. This wasn't just a sacrifice for an individual. It wasn't just a sacrifice for a family or for a clan or for a tribe. It was for the entire nation. It was a communal act that they would all be a part of. Leviticus chapter 16 verse 34 says this, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites. All the sins. This is a big deal. Holiest day of the year. Most important day of the year for them. Because this is their one chance out of the whole year to have the sins of the entire nation atoned for. And this was a very, a very solemn event. This is different than some of the festivals and feasts where, there, feasts where there were great celebration. This was very solemn and it was a Sabbath. In fact, they were told no one is to work on this day. It's to be a rest day to the Lord and you are to deny yourself. There is to be fasting, not feasting, no eating, self-denial on this day. In fact, there's some specific instructions to the people in Leviticus 23, but we're looking at Leviticus 16, and in Leviticus 16, the whole point centers around the activity of the high priest on the Day of Atonement. And the high priest and his actions on that day are very important because he represents the entire nation, and this is their one shot to have all of their sins cleansed as a nation, as a people, as a group, as a community. And so it's very important for him to be right before God if he's going to represent them. All right, so let's jump into this. Leviticus chapter 16, verse 2, and it says this. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron. Now, Aaron is the high priest, okay? First high priest. Tell your brother Aaron not to come whenever he chooses into the most holy place behind the curtain in front of the atonement cover on the ark or else he will die. Again, Four weeks ago, we did the tabernacle. This is back in the Holy of Holies. That's the curtain. There was the Ark of the Covenant. On top of that was the mercy seat. This is where he says, you don't just come charging in there. And God's very serious about this. In fact, Aaron knew how serious he was about this because two of his sons, who were also priests, not the high priest, they had gone against God's laws on how to perform their duties as a priest. And God said, you're not going to live any longer. 
He took their lives. So this was very, very important that they understand this. Now for Aaron, if he's gonna represent the people, he's just as sinful as they are. He's gotta make sure he's taken care of first. So, and I'm gonna summarize some of this. You can read this on your own, Leviticus 16. He is to take some, some of the coals from the altar of incense and then take two handfuls of finely ground incense and put it on these coals and put it into the Holy of Holies. There's discussion. Did he actually go in with this or did he just slide it under the, the curtain? Whatever. The incense is in there and the whole room fills up with smoke from this incense to cover up the mercy seat. This is what you truly call holy smoke. I mean, holy smoke. The whole thing is just covered up. And then he's got to make sure that his sins and his household has been taken care of. All right, verse 6. This is how Aaron... Uh, go back, I'm sorry. Oh. This is how Aaron is to enter the sanctuary area. With a young bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, from the Israelite community, he is to take two male goats for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. So there's a, there's a lot of animals involved here. There's a bull and there's a ram. There's these goats, maybe another ram, four or five uh, animals involved. He's going to take care of his own sin. Now, now we go on. It says this. Aaron is to offer the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. So he slaughters the bull as a sacrifice. He puts the incense into the Holy of Holies. It fills with smoke. Now he takes the blood of the bull and he goes into the Holy of Holies. Remember, one day a year. This is a, a, a frightening place to be. He takes the blood of the bulls and he sprinkles it on the front and, and on the side uh, before the, the Ark of the Covenant. Seven times, seven, this completion idea. He sprinkles it seven times so that he and his household are covered. Now when he's got him and his household covered, then he can represent the people. It goes on and says this. Then he is to take two goats and present them before the Lord at the entrance to the tent of meeting. He is to cast lots for the two goats. So there's this two goat system. And this is what I want us to spend our time talking about today. We're not even going to get to the burnt rams. You can, you can uh, uh, the, the rams is a burnt offering. You can read that on your own. But the two goats. Now, if you've been at Cornwall any length of time, you know that sometimes I have really crazy bad ideas. This may be one of my worst ideas I've ever had in my life. I don't know how this is going to work. We're going to see. But my friend Katahdin raises goats. And I asked him if he would bring two goats on to help me illustrate Leviticus chapter 16. So Katahdin, if you can bring uh, these goats up here, we'll see how this works. Okay. Kadadin, thank you for, for bringing these goats here to help, help us illustrate. Now, now, I don't want this to be a distraction to you here on, on these goats, but they're going to help illustrate this whole story. Just, we're going to just kind of leave them up here for a minute, and, and I want to take us back to something that happened. Remember, it says that he is to cast lots for the goats. 
and, and this is a point that we skipped over a few weeks ago when we talked about the tabernacle, that in the priestly garment, some of you will remember, the priest had this, this vestment, two onyx stones on his shoulders with the tribe's names inscribed that he carries the weight and the responsibility. He shoulders the burden for them. The 12 tribes of stones on the breast piece that he holds them close to his heart near and dear. But there was another piece of this as well that there were a couple of other stones that we didn't talk about. And we find these in Exodus 28. Let's go there real quick. It says, also put the Urim and the Thummim. I'm assuming that's how you say this. In in the breast piece, so that they may be over Aaron's heart whenever he enters the presence of the Lord. Thus Aaron will always bear the means of making decisions for the Israelites over his heart before the Lord. So there's these, it, it sounds like two stones that he keeps tucked in behind there. And these stones are used by God to give direction when there's, there's confusion. What shall we do? Now listen, it's not like a magic eight ball. Uh, I think probably the closest thing for us in the Western world to think about is if God says, this is a divine coin that I'm giving to you. Don't spend it. Don't play with it. It's not a game. But this coin, if there's a time where you're not sure, I will speak to you. You pray to me, you know, keep this close to your heart. And then you flip the coin, you know, heads yes, tails no, something of that nature. So he has these two stones, and this, most of believe, this is what he cast the lots for these goats on. All right, verse 8 says this. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one for the Lord and the other for, now don't read your scriptures right away, because the Hebrew word is the word azazel, azazel. And there's question about what is Azazel. There's discussion about what is Azazel. Some believe it's kind of a, a demonic thing. Some think it has to do with removing. Most would believe that it would kind of stand for the goat of departure. The goat of departure. That that's, that's what this Azazel really is all about. And so he says, cast the lots. One of them will be for God and one of them will be for Azazel. The idea of the goat of departure is that this goat will carry the sins outside, depart from the camp and remove the sins and the guilt and the shame from the camp. So that's, that's what he says to do. So he says, and it can be translated this way. He is to cast lots for the two goats, one for the Lord, the other for the scapegoat. So if you've ever heard or used the word scapegoat, this is where it originated. This is how it started. So now let's go back to our goats here. Katanid, uh, uh, let's, um, let's, let's use this. We've got, got a coin, got heads here and tails here. All right, let's say that if it comes up heads, this goat is for the Lord, and that one is the Azazel goat, and it comes up tails, that one's for the Lord, and this one's Azazel. Can you keep that straight? All right, so we'll flip that, okay. And then uh, we got tails, okay. So which one is for the Lord? That one over there, okay. And then this is the Azazel goat, perfect. Okay, so we've got that. All right, now verse nine says this. Aaron shall bring the goat whose lot falls to the Lord and sacrifice it for a sin offering. Do, do these goats have names? Yeah. What's one's lavender. Lavender. One's okay, lavender, this is not good for you. All right, so lavender, had, the, the lot fell towards lavender as, as the goat that sacrificed to the Lord. So we're going to take lavender away. And don't worry, no, no animals will be harmed in this. All right, so lavender goes away. And lavender now is the sacrifice for the sins. Verse 15 says this, he shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offerings of the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on, uh, on the atonement cover and in front of it. 
So lavender, the goat who the lot fell towards the Lord, goes away and they slaughter this goat. And then take that blood and does the same thing he did with the bulls. That he would, <laughs> he would, he would sprinkle the blood probably seven times again. And so that, that is where you have this sacrifice. What we're talking about here, we've seen this before, is substitutionary atonement. This is what God did with Adam and Eve. When they had sinned, an animal was slain so that their skins could cover their shame. This is what happened in the Passover that we studied. And this is what's happening with the Day of Atonement. And what you're finding is the forgiveness for sin and judgment. Because God is a holy God and God is a just God. And when there's sin, justice calls for there to be blood, death, because sin causes us to be guilty of the death penalty. And so he says, I will take blood of someone else and substitute it. Life is in the blood. All right, verse 10, verse 10. But the goat chosen by Lot as the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord. I'm sure that goat's going, whew, good deal. All right, but alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement by sending it into the desert as a scapegoat. So now we have Karis, Karis, is that right? So now we have Karis. Now, Karis has been uh, drawn the lot as the scapegoat. And God gave Moses some specific but not detailed instructions of what is to happen with this goat. Verse 20. <laughs> when Aaron had finished making atonement for the most holy place, the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall bring forward the live goat. He is to lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the wickedness and rebellion of the Israelites, all their sins, and put them on the goat's head. Now, I don't know if Karis will let me do this. Karis? Um, maybe if we get to care some more grain. What do you think about that? That might work a little bit better. Okay. So, so then he comes and he puts his hands on the head of the goat. And at this point, he confesses all of the sins of Israel. We don't know if this was just a general, just cover all these sins, if it was specific by tribe. We don't know if it was like one at a time for, for adultery, for lying, for cheating, for stealing, for, for murder. We don't know, but he, he puts all of the sins on the goat's head. And then after he's confessed all the sins, and I'm sure the people are saying, take your time. This is our one and only chance. Put all the sins on there. Don't get in a big hurry on this. He puts all the sins on their head, and then it says, as they're probably thinking, like, take him away. Take him away. He's got all of our sins. We don't want him in the camp. Take him away. It says this, he shall send the goat away into the desert in the care of a man appointed for the task. Katahdin, thank you so much. Take our scapegoat, and now will take it apart to, to the task. All right, fantastic. So now we have these two goats. One of them has been slaughtered for the sin and now this other one has been taken away. And, and uh, Scripture says this in verse 22. It says, The goat will carry on itself all their sins to a solitary place, and the man shall release it in the desert. Can you imagine what a dramatic visual this is? Remember, the tabernacle is in the center of the camp. There are three tribes on each side of it, north, south, east, and west. And on this day, no one is working. No one is eating. And as this man takes this goat, they know what this is about. He takes them through the camp. They're seeing this. This represents all of their, their sin and all of their guilt. It's all going. And I don't know if they're silent. I don't know if they're cheering. I don't know if they're weeping in repentance. 
But as they watch this man walk through the camp and out of the camp, and they watch him go out into the, the wilderness there until he's just a speck on the horizon, and then he disappears. And the goat never comes back, representing of what God has done with their sin. You see, one of the goats, one of the goats is sacrificed and dies. And that, as we said, is the forgiveness of sin and judgment. One of the goats has all the sins laid on his head, is not sacrificed, but is let out, and he's gone. And this is the freedom from the guilt and shame. The penalty of the sin was taken care of with the sacrifice. The guilt and the shame is removed. One of the goats is dead. One of the goats is gone. What an incredible picture of what God does for us. Now, when you think about that, that this happened year after year after year, that all the people, even when they got into the promised land, they were aware of this. When the psalmist grows up, he's aware of this. Think of that picture of that scapegoat that's taken outside of the camp and disappears. When the psalmist writes these words, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. He's taken them and they're gone. Or what about when Isaiah says this? I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. They've disappeared across the horizon. I don't, I don't bring them back. They're gone. Powerful, powerful picture of what God does for his people. All right, back to Leviticus 16.34 when it says, this is to be a lasting ordinance for you. Atonement is to be made once a year for all the sins of the Israelites and it was done as the Lord commanded Moses. It's amazing. But you gotta think, surely this is not the end of it. I mean, there's got to be something else, right? I mean, God isn't just about killing and releasing goats. Surely there must be something or someone else, something or someone more, or something or someone that it's pointing to. Haven't we seen this all summer long? That Jesus is the one? Jesus is the one that this is pointing to? Jesus is the one who is the final sacrifice. Jesus is the one who is the only sacrifice. You see it again. We've seen it every single step of the way on this. It's no wonder. Boyce says this, Leviticus 16, is like the most important chapter in all the Old Testament to understand what Jesus did on the cross for us. And when, when you understand Leviticus 16, and then you go and read Hebrews 9 and 10, and I would challenge you to do that. When you now, understanding Leviticus 16, and then you read Hebrews 9 and 10, Hebrews 9 and 10 absolutely explodes. All of a sudden, it becomes very clear. All of a sudden, there's a deeper meaning. There, there's more beauty. It's more glorious than you ever thought before because all of this was pointing to Jesus. Now, real quick, I'll just give you a couple. Hebrews chapter 10, uh, verse 3 says, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins because it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, like this whole system, 
I mean, it was a, it was a dramatic visual. The, the blood of the goat takes my sin and my penalty. The, the scapegoat takes my guilt and my shame. It was a, a dramatic visual. It was a great stopgap measure, but it was inadequate. That could never take away their sins. They had to do this every year because every year they would sin. You understand that? I understand that. They had to do this over and over again. But when Jesus came, it's pointing to one who would come. Verse uh, 33, or 10, excuse me. Uh, We have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices. Here it is again. Which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God. This priest, the great high priest, offered for all times one sacrifice. One sacrifice. No need for two goats. There's one. The two goat system says one pays the penalty of your, of your sin and judgment and one of them takes the shame and the guilt away. But this sacrifice does it all. This sacrifice covers everything. It's pointing to Jesus. 1,500 years later, right before Jesus would become that final sacrifice, he's been arrested. He's brought before Pilate. He's tried. Pilate brings him before the people, and this is what we read. It was the day of preparation of Passover, which is so amazing. Remember Passover is where they would sacrifice and take the blood of a lamb or a goat and put it over their doorpost so that death and judgment would pass over them. So it's pointing clear back to what we've looked at. It's right before the Passover week, about the sixth hour, Pilate says, here is your king, he said to the Jews, but they all shouted. Now here's a quiz for you. When Pilate says, here's your king, they all shouted what? Go ahead and say it right there in your living room or wherever you are, say it. All right, how many of you said, crucify him? Me too. Good answer. Right answer. But not a complete answer. And maybe you've never picked up on this. They all shouted, take him away. Take him away. Crucify him. Does that sound kind of familiar from the scapegoat? Take him away. And you remember that scene when Jesus starts his earthly ministry. And he runs into his relative, John the Baptist. And what does John the Baptist say? John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He takes it away. What all the sacrifices could never do, he does. And he takes away. Not only is Jesus the sacrifice for the penalty of our sin, Jesus is our Azazel. Jesus takes away our guilt. He takes away our shame and never brings it back. You know, um, when our girls were younger, their grandpa thought it would be a good idea for them to have some goats. So he brought goats over. And one of them was a billy goat. And this thing was nasty. Um, he, was, he had just disgusting habits. He stunk. Uh, He was a bit of a bully, and 
There came a time when they took the nanny and her kids away and Billy became even more kind of obstinate. And one day, I think our daughter Alyssa must have been maybe 12, uh, maybe 13. Her and her friend Megan were playing in the backyard and they were playing with Billy Goat. And he just, he just turned on them. And he started raising up on two legs and headbutting them and it scared them to death. And they ran into the house and because they were playing with him, he was off the leash and he ran toward them and they shut the sliding glass door and he stood right there. And, and then they went over to another door and, and he saw them going and he came and he stood right there. And, and then they were gonna crawl. They crawled on the ground to try and avoid him and, and he just followed them wherever they were. And, and they, were, they were trapped and they were tortured. In fact, they called Megan's little sister, Corey. She's a little athlete. And she was a catcher in softball. She, they explain what's happening. She comes over in full catcher's gear, trying to take care of this goat that is harassing them, that is uh, you know, just completely petrifying them, until finally, Grandpa could get there and take the goat away. Now, the reason I tell you that story is because while Jesus is our sacrifice, I think some of you are still living with a two-goat system. You know that your sins have been forgiven, but you still live with this bully goat who tells you you're not good enough, who tells you there's no way God could have loved you that much, tells you, yeah, yeah maybe you'll squeak in, but, but you're not a, a, a real child of the king. You're not the son or the daughter of the king. He couldn't use you. Fills you with doubts fills you with lies, fills you with fear, and he just bullies you. And we're still living with a two-goat system when Jesus took care of all of that. And when the enemy comes along and he feeds you the lies about how you could never, ever be forgiven for that or how you're still guilty or how you have to work harder or you don't know if, if God will actually let you in, you just say what years ago Rob Bell said, the goat has left the building that God has not only forgiven me, he's taken my sh shame and my guilt away. There might be consequences of my sin, but the shame and the guilt and the penalty has been taken away. Jesus is our Azazel. What an incredible picture. So Paul writes in Romans chapter eight, verse one, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Jesus paid that penalty. Jesus took that guilt. He took that shame. No condemnation. Verse 33, he says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It's the enemy. It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? That's the enemy. But Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Jesus Christ is our great high priest. And he is the sacrifice for the penalty of our sin. And he is our Azazel. And he is forever interceding and praying and speaking on our behalf if we could get past this idea that we're never gonna ever amount up to anything and see that Jesus has cleansed us, he's robed us in white, he's called us his sons and daughters, and to know 
that we, our sins have been forgiven and our guilt and shame has been taken away and to live in the freedom and the grace of our great high priest and his sacrifice and that he is our Azazel and that he intercedes for us to live that way in victory each day. One more quick thing and then we'll be done. The two goat system. One of the goats dies. One of the goats is taken away and he's gone. And when I was studying that about a month ago, I thought, oh, how amazing is this? One's dead, one's gone. Now, because of Jesus, my sins are dead and gone. And we sing that and we sing hallelujah. 